of Colossians, and uh, we are going to look just at the final uh, verse in the book, so a very uh, short, Colossians 4.18, Colossians 4.18. It says simply, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, even with these uh, few uh, simple and yet profound words. Uh, We pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would take your words and press them upon the hearts of every person here. Lord, you know everything that we are dealing with right now. You know the weights and the distractions, the sins and the shame the fears that we have come with this morning. We pray, Lord, that your grace would break through that all and show us Jesus and draw us to his goodness and help transform our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Anybody here remember those Gatorade commercials uh, from the 1990s that all centered around that slogan, Is It In You? Anyone remember those? Uh, a couple of us out there. Yeah, and the ad were, were these black and white scenes of very ath- various athletes sweating it out in the courts or on the gym or in the field. But instead of sweat, uh, what came out of them was this glowing green, red, or blue slime-like substance. Uh, and then it would show those same athletes, all, again in black and white, but drinking glowing colors of Gatorade. And it would ask, is it in you? Uh, this was before we knew that artificial food colorings like red number 40 and yellow number five were bad for you. Uh, I remember watching, or I just watched the ad again this week on YouTube, and watching it today, it felt like watching a movie trailer for some uh, horror thriller about the invasion of a, an alien bacteria that is taking over humanity. Uh, is it in you? Uh, Back then, though, I just remember watching the ad and feeling kind of pumped up. I want to drink some Gatorade, too. And the ad ended with that question, is it in you? Well, the idea was that in the heat of battle or your neighborhood softball game, (laughs) Gatorade was like this fuel for your performance. It was almost like a superpower. And when you sweat or when you bled on the court, you knew it was in you because bright globs of it with enough red dye number 40 to kill a mouse, would come out of your body. But what is inside of us, it is important for performance. It fuels us. And in times of stress or strain, what is inside of you gets squeezed out of you. So what is in you? Now, maybe the days of the intense neighborhood pickup basketball games are behind you, or your days of trying to get a personal record in a race are long gone. But what's in you during the stress of getting kids ready for school on a Monday morning? What's in you when you're teaching your kids at home and they have a meltdown five minutes into your lesson plan? What's in you when your boss says something to you that means you're going to have to stay at work late into the night? What's in you when family conflict breaks into your home? We're at the very end of our series in the book of Colossians, and Paul's last words reminded me of that Gatorade commercial. 
grace be with you. Grace be in you. Is grace in you? Does grace come out when you're squeezed? Do you sweat grace? That's the question I want you to ask yourself this morning. Is grace in you? We're going to look at it just under two points. First, in your chains, and then the grace in Christ. So first, in your chains. Uh, I started the very, uh, our first sermon in the series of Colossians looking at just the very first two verses. Uh, so verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And so this book is, is bookended with Paul's exhortation and asking them to remember and to receive the grace that comes from God. Going back to the very beginning of the book, grace and peace to you. Now, how does that grace and peace come to the Colossians? Well, Paul tells us then in chapter 6, or verse 6 of chapter 1, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the days you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So grace is something you can hear, it is, but it's more than that. It's a message, but it's more than a message. It's something that then you can understand with your mind, but as you understand it, it actually brings a power into your life that leads to change. Grace isn't kind of this nebulous thing we talk about, but it is something that you can ingest, almost like Gatorade. It seems that Paul has that in mind when he opens his letter with grace to you. It's like he sees this letter as a bottle of grace that he's delivering to this church for them to ingest, to drink. This letter is like a bottle of fuel for your Christian life. Is it in you? And God's word isn't like any other words. It's not like any other book. We believe God's word actually has supernatural creative abilities. As Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is active and alive. So maybe we should think of God's word almost like probiotics for your gut health. God's word is something that you must ingest for your own spiritual health. Through hearing, through believing, through understanding, through chewing on God's word, you gain this greater communion with Christ and his grace and his resurrection power so that when you are squeezed, it is grace that comes out. Remember back to Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So Paul here is describing two things. One, this unchanging reality. You've been raised up with Christ, something that is true the very moment you first put your faith in Jesus. And yet at the same time, we are people divided between two worlds. We've been raised with Christ, and yet our hearts are so often tied to the things of this world. And Paul is saying your heart is not naturally up in heaven. You need to work, to strive, to set your heart up with Christ where you have already been raised to him. And it's God's grace that gives you the strength to set your heart in heaven with Christ. Two, what does that mean? Well, it means that naturally every one of us, your heart has all kinds of desires that it thinks can be fulfilled in this world. 
Your heart is wrapped up in achieving more things that this world offers, more of the, the promises of peace or luxury or experiences or riches, whatever it is. And, and Paul is saying God's word needs to do that slow work of pulling out those strings, pulling out those wires and connecting them up to Christ to show that he is the one where your greatest desires may, need to abide. He is the one you need to want more than anything on earth. And so you gain that power to do that, that grace, through ingesting God's Word, meditating on God's Word. You know, it doesn't matter how much Gatorade you bought at Costco and you have sitting in your cold storage. It doesn't do any good for you unless you actually drink it. So have you been drinking in God's Word? Have you been chewing on His Word? Now, this is so hard because life gets in the way, right? We come to worship on Sunday, and you feel good after leaving, and then Monday morning hits, and you forget everything. That's where this last verse is interesting. Notice the, the slight shift in words from how Paul opens his letter, grace to you, to how he ends his letter here with grace be with you. Right? This shift, grace to you, grace be with you. Uh, one pastor notes that change where he writes, but as the end of the letter approaches, the, the listeners would have the question, well, what becomes of this grace that, we've been, that has been flowing to us as we hear this inspired letter read? And Paul answers that question with the blessing that he ends every one of his letters with, grace be with you, with you as you put this letter away and leave church with you as you go home to deal with a sick child or an unaffectionate spouse, with you as you go to work tomorrow and face the temptations of dishonesty and anger and lust. We, thus we learn that grace is ready to flow to us every time we take up Scripture and read it, but we also learn that grace will abide with us when we then lay down our Bible and go about our daily living. So is grace with you in the day-to-day -day stresses of life? Is it in you? What comes out of you when you're squeezed, when you're tempted, when you're exhausted after a long day's work and get home and things aren't what you want them to be? When you're wounded, how do you react? Is it grace? that comes out? Or is it anger, bitterness, harsh words, running away, self-hate? Is God's grace powering you in your deepest struggles? Now, you might ask, well, what does that look like for God's grace to come out when I'm squeezed? We'll look at that in the next point. But notice in next the, the just uh, position of Paul's last two sentences in this letter. Remember my chains, grace be with you. On one hand, Paul is saying, remember my situation. We looked at it last week. He is in prison. And yet he says, grace be with you. Now, the word for remember here, it's often tied to the idea of remembering in prayer. He's asking them, remember to pray for me in my situation. Now, what does he want them to pray for? Is it that he would get out of his chains? Well, possibly, 
But, but it's not that he's, he doesn't want that just so he can have his freedom back and go back to living his life. Remember just a few verses earlier, chapter 4, verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I would proclaim it as clearly as I should. So he wants them to pray that there would be a door open for him not so he could go back to a life of ease and his own plans, but he would be able to continue his work of spreading God's grace around the globe. I think it's more than that, though. Paul doesn't want them to feel sorry for him. Right? He's not saying, hey, guys, while you're enjoying your summer vacations and going out and traveling all these places, remember, I'm stuck in this cold, dark prison. Don't forget about me. No, he's not saying that because remember back to chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So why does Paul say, remember my chains? I think it's tied to what he then says next. He says, I want you to know that when God's grace is in you, it's powerful enough to allow you to rejoice even in the darkness of a prison cell. That's how powerful God's grace is. God's grace is stronger than iron shackles. Consider the first sentence in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. This is the one verse in this entire letter that Paul penned himself. Now, it was a very common practice back in this time to have a secretary write your letters for you. You would dictate them. But One of the disadvantages of that is it was easier to forge letters, right? Someone could say, oh yeah, Paul uh, dictated this letter to me and I was the one who wrote it down, but you could write down whatever you want. And so Paul would often end his letters with his signature or write the last few lines to show their authenticity. For instance, in 2 Thessalonians, he writes, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And so he either had a unique signature that you could very easily say, oh yeah, this is Paul's signature, or he had a very distinct handwriting style. So when you saw it, you say, yep, I know that's Paul's writing. And so then I know the rest of the letter is authentic. But many commentators note how short Paul's final greeting is in Colossians, shorter than in many of his other letters. And this has made some to wonder here, has Paul grown so weak in his imprisonment that he's only able to write a few words? Or maybe the shackles around his wrists are so painful, he can only scribble a few short sentences. And here's why that matters. Paul is still showing them God's grace is enough, even if you're in chains. Is God's grace enough to sustain you when you're alone and in the darkness? And this then takes us to our second point, grace in Christ. Gatorade, at least in the 90s, (laughs) looked like it came out of, you know, some science lab with this phosphorescent uh, luminous qualities. But what does this grace that Paul is talking about look like? Well, we only need to look to Jesus to find out. John tells us in John 1.14, we have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when we take that verse and put it in line with what Paul says here, we get this vivid picture. What does grace look like when it's nailed to a cross? Or to put it another way, 
What comes out when the one who is full of grace and truth is pierced with nails and a spear? If you know me, you know how much I love the Psalms. If you've met with me, I've probably read a Psalm uh, to you. The Psalms give words to all our emotions. But what is more amazing about the Psalms is that before they give words to our emotions, they actually are giving words and speaking of Jesus' own emotions. So Augustine, who is this Christian that lived 1,600 years ago, he, he noticed that around Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus kept quoting the Psalms. And, and he discovered, as he studied this, that he realized that the Psalms were like these windows into Jesus' experience. And so Augustine wrote, Let us listen now to something our Lord has said on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. When we hear those words of Jesus in the gospel and we recognize them as part of the Psalms, we should not doubt then that here in the Psalms it is Christ who is speaking. The gospel makes it clear. He had good reason for making the words of the Psalm his own, for he wanted to teach you that in the Psalms he is speaking. Look for him there. So he's ultimately saying that these Old Testament writers who were inspired by the Spirit to write those psalms many centuries before Christ, but in fact, the Spirit of Christ, as he looked down onto his life on earth that was to come, and as he looked at his upcoming crucifixion and his suffering, that that was the Spirit that then informed the writers of the psalms as they expressed their words on the paper. The Psalms show us Christ's emotions. And so then consider parts of Psalm 22. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. You see, it's speaking of what Christ experienced and what flows out when the one full of grace and truth is pierced. Not hate, but grace. Not anger at those who are wounding him, but forgiveness. And why was Christ put on the cross? It's for all the times that you and I are squeezed, and it's not grace that came out, but anger. For all the times that you are stressed, and you don't respond with grace, but make a beeline to your favorite vices, self-medication, too much alcohol or too much food, painkillers, other drugs, pornography, Netflix, shopping. Christ was on the cross for your addictions, for your mess, for your failures. Christ has taken the blame for your sin. He had the hammer of judgment nail him to a cross for your failures. Now, how do you react when you take the blame for something you didn't do or don't deserve? It's happened to every one of us. We kick into overdrive to defend yourself, to say, no, that's not right. This is the problem. It wasn't me. It was them. This is not fair. You fume. You get even. You 
you just cycle in your mind of everything that's unjust about this. You run away from the situation. What does Christ do when he unjustly takes the blame for our failures? Grace runs out. Grace covers the guilty. There's this old spiritual hymn that captures it beautifully, talking about Christ as he comes to the crucifixion. They led him to Pilate's bar, but he never said a mumbling word, not a word, not a word, not a word. They all cried crucify, not a word, not a word, not a word. They all cried crucify, but he never said a mumbling word, not a word, not a word, not a word. And yet how many of us have all kinds of mumbling words when we take the blame for something we don't deserve, when things don't go the way that we want them to, when we find ourselves in chains or just stuck in traffic on Bangadar? But he didn't say a mumbling word. Grace flowed from his wounds. I think every one of us deep down, you believe the only way that God is going to like me is in proportion to how much I'm going to try to please him. But that's not grace. Grace is what comes out of the wounds, which means grace is what comes out of your screw-ups because of your failures. That's why you have grace. The more that your sins have pierced the side of Christ, the more your failures have struck deep into his heart. There is no anger. There is no hate. There is no resentment. There's not even a mumbling word that he gives to you. The wounds that you've inflicted upon Christ have only resulted in more of his wonderful grace swelling around you and making you beautiful. It's by his wounds that you are healed. So have you received his grace? Or are you stuck in thinking that it's something that I need to earn? Are you basking in the deep love of God and realizing how much he loves you even, how, even though you are completely unworthy of any of it, but that doesn't keep him from pouring his life out into you? Or do you find yourself always being worn out because you're trying to put a performance on for God, trying to get him to notice you, to up your chances of him liking you and doing something good for you? Do you think deep down that God probably resents you like you resent so many people who've let you down? Your brothers and sisters, look to Christ pierced on the cross and peer into the depths of his eyes and see deep wells of love. In his deepest suffering, when he was squeezed, not just by the nails and the spear, but squeezed by the almighty hands of God, there was not a hint of anger, not a hint of resentment, but only love behind love behind love for the people that put him there. So do you want a power that when my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, 
An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Do you want a power when that is your life, grace flows out? What does that grace look like? It's captured in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is coming out of you when you're squeezed? When you have an argument with your spouse or family member, what comes out? When things don't go your way at work, what stews in your heart? When someone fails you, when your kids are being incredibly difficult? Or does the suffering of this world act like a fertilizer that is only leading to the growth of more fruit, of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or is the suffering in your life like a heat dome that turns your heart into a tumbleweed? Our world wants grace and peace, but the best that this world can give is a grace and peace that is always dependent on your external circumstances. And so it means that anyone who is toxic or anyone who is bad for your peace, you just can kick them out of your life because it's not good for you. It means that when things get hard, well, you walk the other way. It means your circumstances, other people are always the problem and yet it ignores the very problem of our own hearts. Now, this doesn't mean you don't set boundaries with certain people in your life. We're finite, right? God isn't. His grace is unending. There are limits to how much we can endure. But within whatever those limits might be, is there grace that is coming out of you? The grace and peace of Christ is a type of peace that this world longs to know and yet has no idea how to get to. It's a grace that comes out all the more that you're squeezed. Do you want that kind of grace? Do you want to be filled with such a grace that even if you find your wrists bleeding from chains, grace and love come out? And then you need to give yourself to Jesus. He's the only one that can fill you this way. You need to press into him. You need to chew on his word. You need to humble yourself and realize there's nothing that you can bring. And that his love is so much deeper than you imagine. And how do you do that? It's so hard, and yet on on one hand, I think it's also so simple. You hear at our church, we talk, we're on a journey to know Christ. And we have these landmarks for our journey, right? Landmarks that help you know you're headed in the right direction. And those landmarks are the key things to open up and increase the bandwidth for Christ's grace to fill your life. Worship. You become like what you worship. The things that you adore is what will mold your life. What you worship shows what you value. So are you coming to worship each week, to worship with God's people? And that has an effect on you. But are you worshiping throughout the week? Or are you worshiping all kinds of other things? Right? You're, you're always dreaming and plotting and thinking of all these things. What are you doing? That is worship. Are you worshiping God throughout the week, in the car, in the free moments? Don't just fill them up with music or podcasts, but learn to worship in every moment. Worship the right things. Prayer. Pray the Psalms. Instead of lashing out in anger or running away, pray your anger. Pour your heart out to God. Find a psalm. There's a psalm that speaks to your experience. 
sharing. Serve others. Share what you have with others. Get out of your own head. Get out of your own heart that so easily spirals in just thinking about me, 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 and do something to help someone, particularly in the body of Christ. And discipling. One of the best ways I know to rekindle your love of God's grace is by talking about God with other Christians. So be part of a community group. Start meeting with someone to pray regularly together, read a book together to encourage one another. These are so simple practices, but they're the practices that God promises to bless, to give you an increase in the bandwidth of his grace, to have more of Christ's power, to increase your wells, so that when you're squeezed, grace comes out. Is it in you? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to do what we are so helpless to do. Father, every single one of us, I, I know... Lord, we still operate under some of that paradigm. We don't really believe you like us that much. We don't really believe you actually love us. And we're so convinced the only way to get your love is through how hard we try. But I pray, Father, that even through these words today, you would so break us down to show that it is actually in our deepest failure and sin that your love comes to us, that you would humble us, that you would free us from the chains of performance and help us to bask in the love and grace of God. Father, do this work. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.